Hello, and welcome to Evoking the Sublime, the podcast where I sit down with video game developers, composers, and other people who worked on games to talk about the history and creation of a video game. My name is Shay, and it's a pleasure to have you listening to this episode. Today, I am joined by wonderful people for today's discussion. First, I am joined by E.E. Jang, <laughs> wanted to make sure I get that correctly, the community and PR manager at Heart Machine. She is also on, bo- on the board of directors at Death by Audio Arcade. She does incredible work for the Al Otro Lotto organization. She is an illustrator and is on a tabletop RPG podcast. I am also joined by Alex Preston, the owner of Heart Machine and the creative and design director of Solar Ash. When not engrossing himself in his artistry, he is known he is excuse me, known to enjoy a tasty sandwich and a good book. Please join me in welcoming Yi and Alex to the show. How are you both doing today? Doing okay. Being, I'm doing being great. Good. Thanks so much for having us. Yeah, thank you both of you for being here. I appreciate both of you making time. Um, I know it's pretty early morning for both of you over there, correct? Oh. <laughs> I'm, I'm on the late. East Coast, I... so this is afternoon for me. Oh, okay. Yeah, I'm on the West Coast, and I wake up at like 7 a.m., so this is not early for me. Oh, okay. Okay, that's good. I, I, I'm happy to hear that. I'm, I'm glad that I'm not, you know, <laughs> disturbing you guys' day too much. Um yeah, I, you know, uh, behind the scenes, we were trying to get things kind of planned out and stuff. And um, the first time we tried doing this, I had technical issues and then uh, just a whole host of confusing issues. So I'm glad that we were finally, the three of us, able to meet and make this work. And uh, <laughs> yeah, just kind of a funny sequence of events, which led up to this point. So I'm really glad that um, I was able to get both of you and the show to talk about Solar Ash, which is uh, such a fun and exciting game. And I'm really excited to kind of uh, chop it up a little bit and talk about kind of what happened behind the scenes to make this incredible game. Many things happened. And the podcast. <laughs> All the things. What All a great story. I, I'm excited. I, I, I love uh, talking about behind the scenes stuff. So I'm, I'm really excited not only as the host, but as a fan, um, because I, I wanted to tell you that when we were designing or having our logo designed for Sword Chomp as a whole, one of the first games we were playing when we started our, our podcast adventures was Hyperlight Drifter. And so it, if you go back, and this is both for the fans and for you guys, if you go look at the logo, some of the color palette from Hyperlight Drifter inspired our logo and uh that that game was so influential for us at the beginning is kind of like talking about video games so uh we here have been a really big fans of you guys for a very long time at this point I appreciate that yeah, yeah I, that's very cool to hear yeah. um it takes a lot to design logos and do designs in general so i I understand the the pains of that but inspiration points are always really nice to have yeah absolutely um speaking of hyperlight drifter that was released back in 2016 so how long was it after that that you began to work on solar ash 
Um, I actually started work on it about a year before we shipped uh, Drifter. Um, oh, wow. I was doing preliminary blockouts for, you know, kind of the story beats and some concepts for characters and spaces uh, and logo design uh, and other things like that well before we, we shipped Drifter because I knew, you know, I wanted to be as prepared as possible for what was next rather than uh, not knowing and kind of shrugging and saying, I don't know, wait six months for me to have a pitch. <laughs> right. I, I can imagine because you, you have such a um, big hand in kind of the whole creative process of the video games that happen at Heart Machine Studio that you, it's probably near impossible for you to sit still and just kind of rest on what you've done. You're probably already working on things so far ahead because you just you're a creator you want to continue to create whether it's for personal pleasure or for its professional development yeah a big part of my job is making sure that i have runway uh, for everybody um you know and that and that's not just internally but that's also whoever and we're gonna maybe partner up with next or you know uh, investigating other avenues to you know further kind of uh, solidify uh, what we're doing in other spaces with, mm. you know, merchandise and fun things like that. So, yeah, I, I have to be um, pretty far ahead on a lot of different ventures in order to make sure that the, the crew that we have um, has actual direction and work uh, as soon as we're ready, you know, can hit the ground running. Right. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. You have, there's a lot of moving parts there. So you, I imagine there's a level of preparedness that you really need to have when you're starting to conceptualize some of these ideas. Yeah, there's a million little moving parts all over the place. Uh, and when it comes to games development, um, you know, not only are you making music and concept art and animations and all sorts of other things, but just the, the like, what is interaction in your game and how is that quote unquote fun and was fun even mean um yeah. those are all things that you have to kind of try to at least conceptualize as best as you can uh you know on paper and translate that into pitch and uh vision to share with people to make sure that they understand and mm. you know it's quite a process leading up to a lot of this stuff right is this like when you have an idea whether it's hyperlight drifter solar ash or something else are you thinking about in terms of gameplay that's quote-unquote fun, are you think, thinking about it in terms of what you find fun or what you think the general population who enjoys these games or your style of games would be fun for them, or is it a combination of the two? Um, it's got to be a combination, I feel like. But I, first and foremost, I, I look at the stuff that I find fun. I look at the stuff that you know I find interesting that really wants to that resonates with me because if I'm not interested in it, then I don't want to make it, you know, I don't want to spend my time and everyone else's time on something that we're not engaged with. So there it has, but you know, you can't ignore the audience as well. It's just, I think we kind of take into account our personal preferences first uh, and then let the, you know, what we think the audience members would like to influence us secondarily. Yeah, that that makes a lot of sense. I I imagine that you need to enjoy it in some capacity because you're going to be working on it for X amount of years. You're going to be doing some level of testing of the game to make sure 
things you're integrating into the game work so you have to enjoy it at some level otherwise how can how, how can you i guess enjoy working on something for that long so that yeah. makes sense yeah spending a million hours of your life uh playing a game that you don't like is, is seems unpleasant <laughs> yeah i would say so at the very least um one of the notable things about Hyperlight Drifter to Solar Ash is the transition from 2D to 3D. Um, what was difficult about that transition and what was exciting about it? Um, as far as difficult, pretty much everything about uh, 3D is going to be more challenging um, just by virtue of that extra dimension. You know, it's a third person game, so you have to make the entire model because, you know, a crate and drifter is just the front and you never see anything else. Whereas a crate and solar ash is, you know, uh, six different sides and you have to make uh, the mesh and you have to create a texture and you have to make sure that it's performant and, you know, there's physics rules that weren't in 2D, et cetera, et cetera. So mm. all those aspects of it um, become, uh, create like orders of magnitude more labor overall for something again even the simplest objects oftentimes um so i mean it was also very exciting because we get to make stuff that uh, feels closer to real life that makes it feel like a place that you can escape to that was the intention behind jumping to 3d was that we would have a lot more uh freedom to do what we wanted with scale with perception with uh kind of the overall quality of a landscape and a place to make it feel more like a place that you could be in mm -hmm. uh and that really contributes contributes to the you know escapism of it and just to you know the, the feeling of presence so um 2d it's much harder to do that stuff or impossible to achieve those same types of um feelings of, of groundedness in a space you know to kind of uh, escape to so uh, it's just being able to build that world out in a more fully fleshed out realized way was very exciting even if it was a really difficult challenge yeah i i can't imagine having to make that jump it's got to be incredibly difficult but i i like what you said about it feeling closer to real life in 3d and being able to kind of integrate the player more into that because when i was playing when i had played hyperlight drifter you know back in 2016 it, it's a very beautiful world um but it also feels like you know i'm almost looking at what i would imagine a, a constantly moving painting would be i'm looking at something and i know that i'm i'm separate for that from that but when you are playing as ray in 3d world in solar ash you do feel a little bit more integrated into it because as you were experiencing what ray is experiencing um with you know at, at, I'm, I'm trying to you know not to say too many spoilers but um the, towards like things are ending in her part of the universe and she's trying to figure out what's happening you do feel more immersed into that world and i think a large part of that is because of the the jump to 3d and it's it's a very different feeling from hyperlight drifter while also there's still some grounding in that game but it definitely feels more immersive in that capacity yeah i mean uh 
that immersion is is the big part of it and that made the transition from 2d to 3d worthwhile because mm. uh, again you, just, you don't have the same opportunities in 2d as you do in 3d right right exactly uh solar ash is a game that can be played slowly i guess if you if, but it's meant to be played with speed I have a feeling, and I could be wrong about this, I usually am wrong about these things, but I have a feeling that it is meant to be a metaphor for kind of what's happening in the story. Why was it important for Ray to be able to move quickly through these gorgeous and uh, diverse environments? Well, I mean, if you're bringing up, like mechanically is one thing where, you know, the idea is that we really want to lean into traversal because it's it's a sector of, of kind of game feel that I think could use more engaging and interesting ideas uh, in more games, especially as we have bigger and more amazing worlds to explore. It's like, why not do something stranger with our traversal? Why not, you know, let them surf on clouds or do other uh, wild things like that. So, um, and as far as the story goes, connecting that, you know, it's, uh it is intended to be a reflection of kind of where where ray's at and the kind of magical sensation of like surfing on the clouds and just the idea of that the way she skates and her movement you know she's got this fluidity she's got this kind of fan almost fantasy-esque um traversal method that you know allows her to push forward with great speed and really uh, seamlessly kind of roll over any of these bumps you know she she's very mobile she's very um aggressive about like her mantling and it's also intended to be very fluid and that kind of loops back into the idea of um who she is as a character and kind of her personality and how that's maybe affected her uh, and her position currently, you know, in the story and what she's gotten herself into ultimately, um, where she's very, again, she's very elegant and acrobatic in a lot of ways, but um, has maybe uh, not been as careful and as, as observant as she might need to be to kind of break out of her cycle. Right. Yeah. And the, the, the game has those pockets where she kind of gets to slow down as well when she's reading an excerpt from things that she finds lying on the ground or some of the characters that she comes into contact with in the game. But for the most part, it feels like, yeah, obviously what you said. And for me, I, I kind of chalked it up to she is what's happening in, in the world or in the universe at that moment, she feels this pressing need and, of course, she has always had that capability of moving with great speed, but it's imperative for her to move at this kind of breakneck speed because of what's happening. And I, yeah, I, I really love the movement in this game a ton. It's a lot of fun. And I think it's something that kind of speaks to the, to our child like wonder that we all had. I think so many of us when we were children looked up to the the sky when it was a nice sunny day with some clouds on there thinking you know what would it be like if i were to exist on top of one of the clouds and just kind of float along in the sky and what it would feel like 
obviously not knowing the physics and how that wouldn't work, but being able to sit on a cloud in the sky and just kind of float along or being able to, as you are flying on an airplane and you're above the sea of clouds, being able to move along that sea of clouds, what that would feel like. And I think that her movement is really capturing that feeling that you imagine what it would be like as a child doing that. Yeah, that's the hope, you know, is that, um, that the kind of the traversal and the animations and just the world that we're building inspires some of that, uh, or taps into some of that, you know, childlike wonderment. So it, uh, can and not just feel cool, quote unquote, but also, <laughs> um, make you think a little bit more about what it means and kind of taps into, yeah, these kind of earlier ideas and memories of what was possible before you actually understood physics. Right. Yeah. I, I, I love the movement in this game. It, it, yeah. It's just a lot of fun. It's really great. And I, I like that there's a lot of meaning and thought that was put into this. It wasn't just, okay, we're just going to do this because it looks cool, but it goes deeper than that. So I'm, I'm really, I'm really glad to hear that as a fan of, of the game. We all, we all like chili dogs and Sonic the Hedgehog, but that's not the, you know, just speed for the sake of speed. I think um, there's got to be more, more to it than that for me. Yeah, I, I would agree with that. As much as I love Sonic and chili dogs, I guess. Yeah, I do love chili dogs too. <laughs> but yeah, I, I, I do appreciate that. I one of one of the notable things is that. Um, Solar Ash has, I think, the, the best way to describe it is a less ambiguous narrative than um, the previous game. What kind of went into that decision to tell a more detailed and less ambiguous narrative with Solar Ash? Uh, sure. We had um, decided early on with Drifter, basically, when we all got together for the first time uh, after the Kickstarter, mm. that... We're going to tell a wordless story um, and where we're going to focus on visual storytelling as our, our primary method. And that was great. And uh, it was a lot of fun. It's also really challenging to do, uh, to convey the things that we wanted to. Um, and certainly we also had to let go of the idea that everyone would get, you know, these really similar stories and open up to the idea of, um, <clears throat> vastly different interpretations at different times. So we did, and it was really wonderful to see how diverse those perspectives were and interpretations were and what people resonated with and took away from this visual storytelling uh, and the different set pieces we had and everything else. So, uh, and just the overall experience and mood like really allowed us to focus on certain aspects of atmosphere and tone building that I think you know, is a really powerful tool that not all games take advantage of in, in ways that I think they could. So with Solar, you know, after having done that, uh, gone that path of Drifter, decided that, yeah, we wanted to be more overt. There was a more particular story that we wanted to communicate to make sure the players understood more thoroughly. Um, and that required words and characters and also wanted to kind of live in the characters a little bit more. Hmm. It's, it's interesting. I, I really, that was one of the things that in, impacted me the most about Hyperlight Drifter was the storytelling and the use of visual storytelling. It's something that when 
we we here at Sword Chomp first played that initially, we were just blown away by it. We loved it. And Solar Ash is a very, very interesting and fun and great narrative and for very different reasons. And I I really enjoyed experiencing both styles of storytelling in your your style at Heart Machine. And one of the things that I think I really enjoyed about the storytelling in this game was the unexpected use of voice acting. I think that the the voice actors and actresses that um you guys got for the various characters were phenomenal. It was it's some of the best voice acting I've heard in a game for quite some time and I was just I was thoroughly pleased and they did such a good job of conveying what's happening in the story and the urgency that um is being felt or the the concern, the confusion and it really elevated some aspects of the storytelling in this game. Yeah, I mean, we um we didn't decide to do full voice acting for each character until much later in the process. Oh wow. Uh, originally it was only going to be uh one or two of the characters and everybody else was going to be uh just text and then you know, our publisher for the game, Annapurna, uh, had made it clear that they um, they had resources and kind of knowledge and value that they could add on the playtesting side and, and felt strongly enough about it. Um, and for us, it's like, yeah, this could be a really good opportunity. We've never really done this before. That wasn't ultimately the plan. Um, it's late in the process, but it could add a lot to it. And it did. You know, it really to change the the story in ways that we wouldn't have otherwise have had. And I think it lent a lot of impact to like these performance let a lot of in let in a lot of impact for the different kind of uh beats of the story that we really wanted to stress. Mm. Uh especially the performances of Ray and uh and Sid, um, you know, that dynamic which is intended to be this kind of um, almost familial dynamic or relationship <clears throat> to kind of buttress against all the other dire stuff happening in the world with the story with Echo and all these other characters. Having a grounding element like that, like a, a kindness in there, a voice that can kind of guide you and, and be, um, be a cheerleader for you in some ways was, was really important. I think so. Yeah, it, it it allowed for some level of brevity into what's happening in the world because obviously Ray's going around doing what she's doing, trying to fix the problem to be as vague as I can. And Sid, their their relationship is just so different to everything else that's happening in the world and it's a very refreshing and a very calming experience every time they have dialogue together so i i personally really appreciated that that relationship that they had and just what it added not only to the story but kind of the world building as well yeah well that's good i uh it was my favorite dynamic and you know those were two characters that uh, were pretty uh important to me uh overall I i'm glad to hear that and it definitely shows in the finished product for sure 
um, one of the strongest elements, I think, of a heart machine experience, in my opinion, is telling a great story through the world. Uh, that, that's, I think, such a big part of kind of what you guys do there. What has drawn you to this style of storytelling over the years? Um, I mean, I grew up with a lot of incredible sci-fi and fantasy books. Um, you know, as I got older, I started to really uh, dig into Ghibli movies um, and the way that they, like Miyazaki's told stories, um, you know, and other, I've always resonated with other stories that are more visual that, you know, show, don't tell, generally speaking, uh, in as many ways as possible. And I just, for me, it's like I have a penchant for and a love for a really great, strong world building. I think it brings a texture to your your story, even if your story is simple, that you otherwise wouldn't have. And, you know, with Drifter, there's a whole great backstory there, just great as in like long and deep and uh, fleshed out. So just like immense uh, depth to it um, that nobody but us really knows. But what it ended up letting us do was have a lot of spaces to play in and come to much easier answers on the connective tissues and the way the things that we wanted to surface the player and allude to the greater mystery of things and know that there is a greater mystery to things so it makes the world that you play in feel uh more fully realized because it is even if you don't realize that it is so i think it's 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 relatively transparent for the types of stories that do have that thought put into the world building and the lore um because again it's just the answers come so much more free than i mean it's obviously not free because you do a lot of labor up front right but it just it creates such a rich story on top of that world so mm. i i'm really glad to hear that ghibli influenced you because i immediately got castle in the sky vibes when i was playing hyperlight drifter and i i, I was wondering is that just me projecting or is that a thing you know but um i yeah there i i'm i'm curious I, I i don't know if this is something maybe you feel comfortable answering but is there any chance in the future that you will think about you know revisiting these these universes or the big universe as a whole revisiting hyperlight drifter not necessarily in video game uh format but any other kind of format because as you mentioned, you you have kind of created all this lore and this depth within this universe that you've created through Heart Machine. Um, do you ever feel like, man, I, I kind of want to go back and revisit that someday? Maybe not in a video game format, maybe like a comic or something like that. Is that something you've at all considered? Yeah, absolutely. I, um, you know, I can't say right now what we are or are not going to revisit. You know, we have absolutely lots of ideas and plans and certainly I, I have a love for and passion for these worlds that we've created together um and so i uh there's an opportunity to revisit them revisit any of them whether it's solar or drifter's world or you know uh, any future games that we make that are new ip i think my whole thing is i 
I love building worlds and that means uh, usually there's a lot more opportunity there than just one story. Um, and however that story manifests, like, yeah, whatever, whatever feels right for us at the time, you know, whether it's TV comics, more games, whatever it might be, there's just, there's a lot of opportunity. And uh, again, I think, um, there's so much talent on the team, uh, that's, that's developed these, these games, um, that it's, uh, it's always going to be worth considering, um, what else we can do to further elevate our stories, you know? Yeah. I, that's that's good enough for me just hearing that makes me happy and that's all i need <laughs> you know i like i i don't need any specifics i i know that whatever you guys do you guys will release a great product so i'm you know i'm just happy to hear that to be honest with you um one common thread i think with heart machine is the use of your unique and beautiful pastel color palette that seems to not one-to-one, but seems to have been used in both Hyper Light Drifter and Solar Ash. What was the inspiration for using the pastel color palette initially, and how important was it to continue using it in some capacity in Solar Ash? Sure. Uh, I mean, we have a blend of things between pastel and neon. I think kind of the unique traits there is that... uh, we're not afraid to use color in a variety of ways and to really make it a centerpiece of our visual style. Um, so for me, it comes from my art background, you know, doing fine arts um, in, in school and otherwise all throughout life being a painter illustrator. Um, and you can look back to my own personal work and it's very much in alignment, you know, with the types of, uh color palettes and just uh, proclivities that i have for color theory um and the things that i think end up looking unique and attractive at once uh things that you just haven't seen before in whatever medium we're working in um mm. more like a collage than anything else so um that's the stuff that i try and focus on when developing you know our concepts initially and trying to establish kind of that uh, color story um for the game itself or the games that we make so uh drifter i did a lot more of the art in game and key art you know we, we were a much smaller team uh we had a uh, cosmo join on later on who did a lot of art with me um but i i had been the sole artist for quite a while on it uh launching a kickstarter and whatever else um with solar uh i i mostly focused on uh some key art for again establishing those kinds of color stories you know drafting and and developing different characters like ray and and sid amongst others um but there are so many other artists on the team from environment concept to otherwise vfx etc that you know kind of took inspiration from those things from drifter and really ran with it and did an amazing job that like otherwise like that's impossible for me to do um because i'm not good at a lot of those things you know, i'm not a, not a 3d artist ultimately right. uh, my, my 3d art is bad um <laughs> but i think um you know again I've, I've been really fortunate to be able to work with extremely talented uh artists that want to take this vision want to take these ideas want to take kind of like the threads and expand on them and, and make them their own in a lot of ways you know there's incredible art that, that comes in from everybody on the team and they really you know it's it's 
it's amazing. I think one of the things that I feel kind of um, uh, more emotional about, generally speaking, is watching uh, how other creative people, we're talking about art specifically, how other artists on the crew embrace these things and kind of take them and run with them and make them their own because it shows that they're paying attention. It shows that they, um, they care, that they have a passion for these things, that they want to embrace it. And I just, I, you stated up front, just like, you love process. Like I love process. You know, I love learning about another person's process, especially on the art side of things and just like digging in and like, how did you make this? Why did you make these decisions? You know, like what is different about what your methods are versus mine or whatever else. And so, you know, that was another opportunity on solar that I found to be really rewarding was understanding more about 3d games development. I've had some rough idea about certain things, but having never done it, I, um, I uh, really got to know more about just like the raw process and pipeline and just efforts that again, it took to build these things out, uh, even just to kind of like put some, some basic blockouts in for certain things because of that three-dimensional nature and the considerations for lighting and camera and uh, physics and whatever else may happen. Um, so yeah, it's been, it's been an incredible learning experience for me personally and really rewarding to watch uh, other artists make, uh, make these choices and understand why and see how they align with the original goals and intents and how it transforms it as well. So it became very collaborative at certain points too, to just be like, well, I can only, I can only do so much to establish the direction. It's up to you to like take it and run with it and like make this thing so much more beautiful than I ever could. So, you know, uh, where Drifter was much more narrow with just a couple of people here and there on, on each element and really taking on enormous um, swaths of the game, Solar allowed us to, to kind of branch out and, and again, like have several environment artists, have the effects people, have multiple animators doing a lot of different things. And again, just seeing how that all comes together, uh, seeing how, again, people's interpretations of things really transform them into their own and kind of meld and mesh back with original goals and intents uh, is just, yeah, it's a really incredible process to experience. So I'm, I'm very grateful for all the people on the team that, uh, you know, in every sector, I, I know we're just talking about art specifically here, but uh, in every way, you know, make things uh, transform ideas into fully realized, fleshed out, uh, incredible, uh, components in the game. Yeah. That's gotta be a, such a cool thing. Seeing people kind of buy into the, the vision that you initially have. And then, as you said, they take it in some ways further than you expected it to go, but it's exactly or similar to what you imagined it, or even you didn't imagine it. I, um, I, I, I'm curious, what was the, the most um, important lesson you learned from that experience of, you know, learning new aspects of making a game, especially a 3D game that you didn't initially kind of have in your tool belt or your arsenal that you were really happy to learn about? Uh, everything. <laughs> That's fair. I can, I can understand that. Um, it's it's impossible to say like just one or two things there's just there's a lot uh there's a lot to it mm. was there something that you were 
more curious about than the others that you were finally glad and relieved to understand, at least in some capacity? Um, I guess learning a lot more about the process for animation was really fascinating and helpful, you know, animating a character. I mean, I had known it's complicated. I had known the basics of it, but really getting into the details of what it takes to make a character rig, you know, what it takes to make a, a character model, what it takes to do any kind of like cloth or hair sim, make all these things work in tandem uh, and make it look and feel good at the same time. And it's like these intersections of so many disciplines just for a single character in a game in a third person setting that um, that was probably, yeah, the most consolidated cluster of really wild um, requirements to, to execute well on mm. in coordinated. Interesting. Yeah, that, that would be, I, I can't even imagine, like, I have no developing experience. So every, all the moving parts that go into just animating Ray has to be far beyond what the average person would expect, I think. You know? Um, yeah, I mean, that's, that's the thing that I am somewhat, uh, that I'm trying to tackle too, and that I'm, I'm passionate about ultimately is more of that kind of open and informative development process that certain developers absolutely have the devlogs and, and just kind of videos and whatever else. Um, and there's definitely behind the scenes groups, you know, documentaries, no clip, for example. Um, but I, I think the more that developers can open up about process and just what it takes and how bananas it is to make a game and what a, you know, miracle it is that anything actually gets done in this uh, in this wild medium i think the better off we'll be ultimately as as developers and as a community as a whole of people that love games whether you're developing them or playing them you know making content around them and whatever else like i just think that understanding will be better so we don't have to run into perhaps as much volatility where people are frustrated by delays or you know don't understand why online multiplayer is not in this game it's like it only takes a week you know it's like no it's like <laughs> There's so many things that have to go into this that are like nobody knows, but I, it's just as much on developers to share, to open up that process as it is for players to be receptive to information as well. You know, so um, it's, a, it's two way street. And I ultimately think that um, there's a lot of value in opening up an otherwise closed down process because mm. that's what it is. The very closed down process, you know, the games industry is so secretive. Uh, and I get it, having been in the games industry now for eight years and known a bunch of other developers, indie and, you know, double A AA and triple A and whatever shape, size and scales. Like, yes. yeah, there's a lot of, there's a lot of industry insider information that can be important to retain. And when you have these projects that are multiple years and super risky and you really want to blow it out in the right way, you know, when you announce like, yeah, you're going to do a lot of secrecy. It's like, I get why. But at the same time, like there can be better ways uh, to do this. You know, there can be more, um, there can be more clear cut ways to develop more openly. And just, even if it's just having those conversations, uh, I think can be really, really valuable. Yeah, absolutely. I, I think that, that that's, that's such a big reason why I love doing this particular podcast is because I like to talk with devs because I, 
I know they want to share this stuff, and it also hopefully ultimately will inspire future generations of developers to get interested, be curious, and start poking around and learning some of this stuff and who knows what ideas come up come of that so i I think it's really important for devs to have the opportunity to um kind of share what goes into their passion and how they go about with the creation and synthesis of that yeah i uh it's i think super important uh ultimately so i think so too and speaking of uh you know kind of opening up and sharing you've been very open and honest about your um physical and mental health struggles in the past uh, especially when you're talking about creating Hyperlight Drifter, you've used that kind of as an influence and channeled them into games that you've created and worked on. What is it about the gaming medium that allows you to explore some of these topics in an engaging way? <laughs> yeah, no problem. What What is it about the, the gaming medium as a whole that allows you to kind of explore some of the topics of, you know, mental health struggle or you know physical health struggle and how that can impact mental health and what what is it about the gaming medium that you can do that in this kind of hands-on engaging way sure um i mean at the end of the day games are still a storytelling medium just as much as they are anything else like that's kind of the amazing that's the amazing top line thing about games they can be anything you know they are all of the art forms in one and a new art form which is that interactivity um and so i think being able to tell whatever story you want uh, in games is entirely possible and achievable it's just a matter of uh, kind of you know trial and error and figuring out how to tell those stories um and you see more examples you know year by year of really strong storytelling occurring in games in a variety of ways and certainly there have been games about trauma and, and whatever else i mean you look at smaller games like celeste uh, in the past few years and there's like a very clear through line on mental health there and this is just essentially it's just a, a, a fun platformer but it's also not because the whole game is a metaphor and again there are these deeper darker themes about like kind of wrestling with your own uh internal self and, and coming to terms with uh again all these challenges that you create for for yourself and overcoming them and it's really inspiring and you can tell those types of stories in smaller uh, form medium or so, sorry smaller formats or you can tell stories about trauma personal loss whatever else whatever else in much larger formats as well in games and uh get more elaborate with it you know higher voice actors and all all sorts of stuff and um you know even into the kind of triple a realm look at stuff like um effect which yeah it's a, it's a little more broadly appealing and they're not really tapping into kind of the deeper darker themes about mental health or or things like that but it was one of the better examples in the past uh, you know a couple of generations uh you know the original trilogy of becoming more believably human in ways like you had these personal relationships in this game that you built off of and it's a bit of a space opera and goofy but I, I love this series and, and again I think it really it helped to elevate 
emotional themes and the idea that again you can build meaningful relationships in a game and so it's just a number of things that i think keep inspiring other developers inspire me certainly to try and dig in with more personal stories and ultimately like i want to make games because i like making because i love games as a, as a medium for fun and mechanics and all this other and escapism in worlds that like we would never be able to go to otherwise. But I also love them because they, they resonate with me in some way emotionally, you know, they tap into something and I want to tell stories that resonate with me personally. And that, you know, I hope resonate with other people that are darker, that are, you know, more challenging to kind of uh, maybe get your head around initially, you know, they aren't just a, an easily digestible, um perspective and maybe the resolution is more muddy or maybe the path is more muddy because you have conflicting feelings and i just i don't know like any art form i think artists can hope that it just has an impact that it touches people in some way that it makes them feel a thing even if they feel hatred you know it's like a better than feeling nothing towards it and ambivalence you know right and so even if these things are challenging ones, even if they're super personal and maybe you don't identify with it, perhaps we can at least get you to uh, understand this character and kind of understand their plight and, and be empathetic towards that and get a different perspective in some ways that you otherwise wouldn't have. And if you do kind of go through these trials of, of uh, pain and, and, and trauma, um, maybe this will say something to you, speak to you in a way that makes you feel less alone. Uh, and the type of stuff that I, I think can be really powerful about games and game stories because not only do you have those storytelling elements, but you can really emphasize them through gameplay, through mechanics, and players have an opportunity here that they don't in linear media to make this feel like their own experience and own story very personally because they played the game in a certain way. You know, they didn't do the same thing that everybody else did. They didn't watch the same 120-minute you know, series of frames that everybody else did. Uh, they played the game and died on the stage 20 times, whereas this other person didn't die once, you know, and that is part of the story. You know, that is part of what makes games really truly magical as storytelling mediums longer term, I think. And as this industry, as this format uh, matures, you'll start to see more powerful experiences that, that, that leverage the advantages, like very distinct advantages that gameplay has to further buttress and, uh, you know, extend what's possible in storytelling that's possible Absolutely. in linear media and traditional media like TV, film, and books. Yeah. Yeah. There, I think that there are so many creative ways to tell the unique stories of talking about more complex emotions or complex topics like mental health, um, you know, hyperlight drifter. Uh, again, we talked about that a little bit earlier. Just the, the visual storytelling was amazing. Uh, the, the world building in solar ash and just everything that's happening, not only visually, but on, on, um, on an audio level, I think one of the, Sorry for the <laughs> the ambulance silent siren in the background. Um, I, not only that, I think about games like uh, Hellblade that just really push the boundaries of sonically what they could do to kind of represent mental health. Like there, there are so many 
creative ways to represent that in a video game and i feel like really even though there are more and more games coming out now than ever that the surface has only been scratched on what you can do to kind of immerse somebody a player into this kind of experience and i it's something that i didn't quite think about it until you you put it in such a way that even though you have a game and there's a story to be told and everyone is going to experience that story everyone's going to experience it in a different way i think about solar ash where you can go to different areas um you don't have to necessarily go to this exact area and follow this exact through line in terms of ray has to follow this exact path you can go to different areas within one zone and learn more about the world in a different sequence than somebody else would and that is your unique experience through that game and i think that's a really cool way to think about it that even though yes there's a centralized story everybody has a different experience yeah everyone has a different experience and that is that is in and of itself again one of the most powerful tools that we have in games that no other medium has no other medium will ever have um or no other traditional medium will ever have maybe we'll have some you know new version of quote-unquote games in the future that does something on that front but um i just it's it's a it's a huge change i think in storytelling uh that i uh i don't know what else to compare to because there is no nothing else so and i I think mentioned uh, you mentioned senua's sacrifice uh or yeah that's the subtitle for hellblade um you know that's like one of the most beautiful games i've played in a lot of ways not just because like graphically it's impressive but because they spend a lot of time caring about tone and atmosphere you know like the vibe of something um and what that means uh and how that fits in to uh all the different other aspects um of what that state of mind for that character is so that you feel that more than i think you can feel it in uh again in in a movie or or otherwise because you're as much as films can be about show don't tell uh that interaction is like so powerful that all these other elements of storytelling and environment building and and tone and atmosphere and vibe and whatever you want to call it you know the audio experience the fact that you can turn to the right when you hear a whisper or you get led to a different path and like oh you know in a movie you you can feel stressed out about like a character approaching a a rustling bush at night or something like ah there's freddy krueger's gonna pop out of it (laughs) um but in the game it's like you can kind of take your time or you can like avoid that bush you can go around it or you can do xyz unless it's like very linear funneled game but typically it's like you have that choice to make that character do a thing that you would do that you would feel is right and just that form of empowerment is so uh valuable Mm. I think so too. Yeah, I I think it's really it's it's what I think not every game needs to have something deeper to say. Obviously, I think there's a place for a whole range and host of games, but the beauty of a game is that 
you can tell a deeper story and there's a level of immersion that like you said can't be matched in any other media form we have as of now and who knows if it will ever be matched so i think i think that all these unique stories and these creative diverse story or di- diverse not diversive diverse stories such as like uh solar ash can be told and uh it can't be replicated by any other medium i don't think yeah um one of one of the last questions i had and um this is for both both of you uh e and alex is while working on the (laughs) yeah while working on the release of solar ash during and after um how rewarding has it been to be surrounded by a collective of awesome fans and creators brought together by this excellent project that is solar ash uh yeah sure um there's been incredible reception from both from the people who responded initially to the delay of release of solar ash everyone was incredibly understanding they were like oh take care of your health don't crunch it's okay we understand you want to deliver a polished product and then just following the actual release I think we just have a really kind and awesome community of people who are really passionate about these projects. It's not a triple A game. So there's not going to be a lot of like meme creation or jokes or like online activity in the sense that you would get with Fortnite or something. But these people are really into both Hyperlight Drifter and Solar Ash and they create a tremendous amount of content. They, they're streamers, they're speedrunners, they're artists, they're musicians. We even have some dancers. I think just like that level of passionate engagement with the project is really, really rewarding. And I think the whole team really appreciates seeing that. Yeah, that's cool. Dancers, really? Yeah, yeah. Is it kind of like interpretive dancing that's happening? It's a little, it's both interpretive dancing and then they use it to inform their 3D modeling and animation projects. Because Solar Ash is all about movement. There's like some inspiration there that I, as not a dancer, can't really wrap my head around. (laughs) Same, same. Yeah. That's so cool. Wow. I didn't even think about that. That makes a lot of sense, though. Yeah, because Ray's constantly moving. I didn't even think about that. Whoa. We have a a great community. You know, I'm really, um, I really love that. as he said, there's a lot of kind people in it. And um, I think when you have games that speak about more delicate issues and kind of take the time to, you know, open up in a very personal manner, uh, people can see that and people, you know, again, uh, want to feed into that. Yeah. Yeah. I'm, I'm, I think that's probably one of the benefits about being, an indie dev is maybe you don't hit that huge triple a level of audience but i think what you miss out in that you gain in more fervent dedicated fans who really want to just be supportive of the entire process of the creation of the game and just supporting this thing that they love and there's probably a feeling of not exclusivity but just that we know that you know, they're, they're not, you're not going to hit this, this huge barometer of people, but you have the, the, these group of people that really love what you've done and they get to all share in that together. And because, um, 
of the nature of an indie de- developer, an indie studio, that there probably is a certain level of connect connectivity that fans get to have with the developers and the people behind the scenes that they wouldn't normally have with someone in a triple A studio. And I think that's a really cool aspect to um, having a community and being quote unquote, um, if you have to label it a smaller studio. Yeah, absolutely. And I would say that between Alex being very open about his personal journey and struggles, as well as just the care we try to put into sharing our content and sharing sort of behind the scenes work in progress stuff with our various streams that we do. We've been able to build a lot of empathy and trust with the community that we have. So it's not a huge community, but they are people who really engage with us and want to be a part of the process. And and they sure keep us on our toes. (laughs) (laughs) The speedrunners especially are... probably the best QA testers out there. They find every single bug, every single broken collider, every single, like, I don't know. Yeah. It's every single issue. They, because they're playing the game like multiple times a day for just hours, every waking hour, it seems like they're playing. So it's really a wonderful. It's kind of, it's, it's kind of a crazy community that is essentially, of course, I imagine as a studio, you still need to pay like, play testers and game testers but at the same time you have this group of dedicated fans who kind of act as a secondary version of that in a way mm-hmm. yeah really cool um, you know I, I think that is the advantage of having dedicated fans and speedrunners is you get to learn things about your game you wouldn't otherwise um mm. you know they're passionate about it they care about all the little different details in a way that just a paid qa team uh because they don't dig into the nuances of like why this does or doesn't work for a speed run you know you get these eh, for the better and for the worse sometimes like oh this was a skip that we had that got patched out you know or it's like oh we should keep that in or like oh sorry we needed to do that because of xyz um but it's uh, really cool to have uh people that care you know so much and, and uh, play your games a whole lot so right yeah that's so cool I'm really happy for you guys that um, you just have this dedicated fan base that is using using your creation as inspiration for their own artistry and their own creativity. I think that's so cool. That's really inspiring on so many levels. Um, I have one final question for you, Alex. Um, you can read something in the game that says, this book, and I'm quoting it, this book tells the story of a goblin sovereign who kidnapped children and held them captive in a large maze. I just, I got to know one thing, if that's okay. Okay. You remind me of the babe. Of the what? You remind me of the babe. The babe. The babe with the power. Oh, okay. <laughs> I I don't know if you know this. Do you know what this is from? Uh, I think so. The la- the mo- the movie Labyrinth. Uh huh. Yeah. So I I when I came across that in the game, I was like, "Who is the Labyrinth fan that snuck this into the game?" Uh, that was not mine. Um, <laughs> we, all, we all do have a penchant for Labyrinth, one way or another. So 
I mean, how can you resist David Bowie? Yeah, you know, as a kid, grew up on on that type of stuff. So it's this kind of wild fantasy uh, story with very, I just like oddly uh, sensual character as a kid, where you're like, quite understand, <laughs> right? This is different, and it is. I'm feeling different things about this. So, <laughs> right. <laughs> I, uh, no, my, my real question though is, um, because it's clear that there are Easter eggs about Hyperlight Drifter and other various media forms in this game. Did you personally sneak any Easter eggs in there that you want to talk about, or do you want to keep them hidden and let players kind of find them on their own? Well, it wouldn't be Easter eggs if you didn't find them. Touche. Yeah, I just I was so happy to find that labyrinth one because I, growing up I I love that movie and I still love that movie very much and was very surprised to see that in the game. So yeah, it kind of holds up. So it's good to good to put in things that you, that we we love again. I, that might have been Tyler or Evan that put that one in. I'm not sure. <laughs> or, <laughs> had uh, several people contribute on writing. So yeah. Any, any number of them. Right. Well, whoever it was, please tell them thank you on behalf of me for sneaking that in there. I will. I'll put it. <laughs> cool. Well, Alex, I want to thank both you and Yi, both of you for coming on the show and um, talking about, you know, the behind the scenes of creating Solar Ash and just a, what it's like to, uh, you know, create a game in Heart Machine Studios. I really appreciate both of your time and um just being so open about the whole process and everything thank you both very very much i appreciate it yeah thanks for having us on thanks so much yeah and let us know when it's live we can help promote it on our end just look forward to hearing it yeah of course thank you very much um i i don't know before before we head out is there anything that you kind of want to direct listeners to like head head over to this website to check out this thing that we're working on or anything like that. It can be, you know, heart machine or it can be otherwise, you know, any, anything else. I know um, you, you work on a, many, many different things. When I was researching, you know, what you all work on, I was like, how, how the hell does she have time to do all the things that she does in a day? Um, is there anything you kind of want to direct um, listeners towards? I would say just keep an eye on our, um, heartmachine.com which links to all of our social media channels including our live stream channels on youtube and twitch where we do a good amount of content and we're trying to ramp that up for sure with interesting behind the scenes looks with our team and interviews and alex's fun ramblings <laughs> as he doodles so awesome some good stuff yeah, yeah very it. casual i do yeah. love a good ramble Hey, I, I like listening to rambles and I, I, I've been known to ramble myself. So, um, yeah. And I, I, I'm going to definitely have to check out some of your streams. I didn't know that you did some kind of doodles on stream. I'm definitely gonna have to tune into that sometime. That's really cool. I, I have no artist. Yeah. Tuesdays whatsoever. In the... I want to learn. <laughs> I want to go there to learn. We all, we all have different skills. Yeah, I yours is an artistry, mine is not, and I respect you a lot for doing what you do because I'm not at all 
artistically gifted so um <laughs> i'm definitely gonna tune in but cool thank you both again you can check out obviously if you're checking out this podcast you can uh listen to it all the major feeds and uh if you want more information on what we do you can head over to sorgehomp.com where we have more podcasts and other various stuff uh don't need to talk about that but uh thank you both for being here thank you to you the listener for checking out the show and uh we'll catch you on the next episode take care